0: Yes, so we're here for the Be More Super podcast. Um, it's an absolute honour for this podcast as a Superman uh, superfan. Um, I'm joined with two lovely people that are, are bringing out a book called Believing a Man Can Fly. And I certainly did believe a man could fly uh, during my childhood, and I still do today. We're joined by Oscar-winning uh, director uh, Colin Chilvers and Aaron Lamb. Hello, guys. How you doing?
2: Good, thanks. Good to see you. Where are you situated?
0: Uh, I'm in Mansfield uh, in the Midlands. Yeah. So yeah. it's very windy, very uh, rainy because we're experiencing a horrible storm at the moment. Oh, uh, boy. That's right. You are, yeah. 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 And you're in lovely Ontari- Ontario, uh, Canada?
3: We're so- Niagara Falls. We're just south of Niagara Falls in a place called Fort Erie, which is on Lake Erie.
0: Oh, it looks absolutely beautiful from the pictures um so with this book, how did yeah. it happen um you know why now? well, it's been a while
2: yeah, I think we Colin and I first met we were going on ten years ago, and uh, uh just like you brian i'm I'm a super fan um, um so we're not far from Niagara Falls. I grew up not far from here. And uh, I used to have Superman posters all over my bedroom growing up. And then I was amazed when Superman 2 came out, and there's a sequence in Niagara Falls, which is just down the road. And little did I know that all these years, Colin lived uh, just down the highway from me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, and I, I had,
3: obviously, Superman the movie, the first one, we had done in England. Yeah, but we had locations in Canada. and and, and the states in New York and so forth. But the second movie came out to Niagara Falls to shoot, and also back out to Alberta. So I had not come out on the first movie because I had all the flying rigs to get prepared for when they got back. So I stayed back in England for the first one, and the second one I was determined to get out and see some of the world myself. So I came over to Niagara Falls for the three-week shoot that we had with Chris saving the kid going over the falls and then Lois gets into the uh, the not the whirlpool into the rapids. And while I was out on that location for three weeks, I met a young lady that eventually became my wife. So.
0: And 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 the rest is history. So um you grew up in London in Kentish Town. Uh, yes, I which I actually passed near, near enough every day to work when I lived down south in Kent. Uh, yes. What was it like growing up in London in the time that you did?
3: Oh, it was great. I lived. My family was very working class. We lived in a little two up, two down with a you know with a a back scullery and an outside toilet, and the street we lived on probably had. It was a, called Falkland Place. Which sounds very fancy but it was actually just meant there wasn't a street that went all the way through and there were houses on either side and there was probably 40 houses and we were just it was like one big family so i grew up with a lot of knowing a lot of people and in those days we just played outside and you know we had a swing going on on the uh on the lamppost and i had, my mother and father my mother worked and actually till she was 84 years old and my father was working, so I was during the day when I was at school. I would come home from school and I would go to some neighbours, and the neighbour would give me tea and cookies. And she had a couple of daughters, and they were the ones that actually got me involved in going to the movies when I was too young to go to the Saturday morning matinees. But they would smuggle me in. Yeah. So I would, and then I saw, you know, we had Flash Gordon, Superman, and all the all the serial things. And that's how I really got interested. But it was a great upbringing because it was like one big family. We had lots of family that lived around, and we would go visit them from time to time. It was a it was a great upbringing, a good family life. My, I had a sister that was actually thirteen years older than I was. Yeah, who still lives in England. She lives in Beaconsfield.
1: Right.
3: And she was more my mother really than my mother sometimes because she would be the one that would chase me up the stairs if I did anything wrong. <laughs> A good life, A good life, I
0: must say. I bet it's quite bizarre that um as a young child you was going to the cinema and sneaking in and watching the adventures of Superman. And later on you're a massive part of of what we know now as as you know, one of the best well, it is the best superhero movie of all time. Um mm-hmm. Is that bizarre to you, thinking back of all those times of watching The Adventures of Superman and how yeah. you know basic yeah. that was compared to what you helped achieve in today's um, films? Yeah, I mean, it was...
3: If you think about it, the technology wasn't much further on from those early days that I went to the movies as a kid and when we did Superman, because we didn't have the benefit that I have these days of computers. Yeah. You know, we were still doing a lot of in-camera stuff and uh, the basic you know, f- phys- r- physical effects and also um, optical effects. Yeah. But I, I find there's a certain irony as well. In that one of my favorite books of all, of all time as a kid, and even now to some extent, was um, Carter on Mars, Edgar yeah. Rice, Princess of Mars. Yeah. And, and two little ironies there. I tried to get a producer at one time to make it into a tv series or a movie and at the time this would have been in the early 70s if that and he said oh forget it he said for this kind of movie science fiction movies is finished so wow.
0: wow how Just, wrong how wrong yeah, they was
3: he, yeah, he was a producer of something like the saint one of those big time you know big series so he knew what he was talking about he thought but then the irony of it was, 25 years after I did Superman, my nephew Neil did the effects on Superman Returns. I know, yeah. <laughs> and my yeah. other nephew, my other nephew Chris did the effects on on John, on Carter, on John Carter. Yeah. So, you know, it kind of it went tw- it jumped twice from me as a kid <laughs> to me. As a, Grown up to meet four of my nephews and a niece now working in the business.
0: Anyway, you've obviously got amazing genes. That's what it must be. Uh, Either that, or you must be a great role model because I know that your nephew actually uh, worked with you a bit on Superman. Uh, You took him on under your wing. uh, Four of them. Four of them. I did all four of them. Wow. All
3: All four of them worked at one time or another. For me, on one or other of the movies that I did,
0: that must and make I, you really proud to see see them in the achievements that they've you oh, know uh, yeah. They've, yeah. they've had now, but talking about the book, Aaron, how easy was it to write with Colin? Was he easy to write with? Was he very forthcoming with the stories, or did you have to really get it out of him?
2: Well, I would say Colin is a natural storyteller um, and it, it really was a pleasure to do we we collected, uh, interviews that I think over the course of a few, it was a good four or five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and it, it was, it, it was more fun than anything. Um, uh, for example, uh, uh, there were some films that, uh, Colin hadn't seen for a long time sure. or even, uh, uh, some films I hadn't seen, uh, at all. Uh, I hadn't seen, uh, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, what? which, uh, Colin worked on so uh so uh we spent uh, uh time at, at colin's place watching movies and uh and getting caught up and and one of my childhood favorites was saturn three which uh colin worked on and colin hadn't seen it since uh it had originally been released yeah. in 1981 i believe yeah and um so it was it was really informal basically over the course of uh, of a few years we just sort of chatted and um but I do remember the first time I, I had contacted Colin, and I was so nervous uh, when I had discovered that uh, that uh, Colin lived uh, in the area, and, and I gave him a phone call and uh, asked him uh, if he would like to go for a coffee, and uh, and would he mind just sharing some of his stories about the making of Superman? And he said, Why don't you just come on over, come to my place, and. Uh, before you knew it, he said, oh, uh, here, here's my Academy Award. Would you like to hold it? And I would say, yes, please. <laughs> I bet.
0: I bet. What, what, what did that feel like as a Superman fan to actually have that Osc- Oscar in your hands?
2: It, it's amazing. Um, it, it is, they, you know, it is true what they say. It is extremely heavy. Yeah. And um, there's so much history in that. And uh, Colin is a part of, of the the team, and and actually Colin and I were talking about this uh, just prior to your call. That it's unfortunate that uh, so many of the members of his uh, uh, effects team, so many of his effects colleagues, unfortunately, are no longer no, with us. Uh, Very uh, sad. You know, yeah, yeah. So,
3: yeah. Derek Meddings was a big loss, and so was Les Bowie. Yeah. And I, worked, I worked with Derek, Les Bowie. I'd worked for Les Bowie for many years before I went. Freelance, as it were, and also I my, one of my I think it was my third ever job in effects was working for Derek Meddings, um, on Thunderbirds, our goal, which was a lot of fun as well. It was bizarre, but yeah, well, actually, it was interesting working with uh, with this guy <laughs> because we would by, by watching a movie, it helped to kind of push my memory back to that particular time in my life. And I could fill in some of the gaps, which was good. Except he's a nutcase as far as <laughs> some of the movies that he likes. <laughs> this, this nut, he, he took his wife to Alberta to go to all the locations where we had shot Superman to have his photographs taken. Mm-hmm. I
2: a woman. I tracked down the original Kent Farm uh, in Alberta, which it's is in, in the, the middle of of a dirt road uh, where everyone in the community is sworn to secrecy. And I am as well. They, some, I, I had a, a very nice local woman who told me how to find it as long as I swore to secrecy. And it looks exactly the same as it did.
0: <laughs> I, think, okay. I, th- I think every super fan has got a very understanding super wife. Uh, yes. My, <laughs> my, my wife is very understanding with my obsession with Superman, um, especially when I buy autographs. Uh, especially Christopher Reeve autographs. Um, And I've even got a crystal from the original movie uh, that's that's, that's boxed. And I got from Elstree back in, I think it was 1998, 99. uh, And I've got it all boxed and framed and it's my baby. Um, I will will never sell it, uh, even though I've had lots of offers, but I will never, never sell it. Um, But I'm I'm that much of a super fan. I've got two little girls. 1-6 uh, and 1-2, and they're called Lois and Cara. Uh, so, yeah. So,
2: I, think,
3: I think he had to fight his wife because his daughter is not named after
2: Superman. I, I, we, came, we came close to, to Lana Lamb.
3: <laughs>
0: right.
2: Uh, close, my daughter's name is Laura. At least it still has the alliteration. Yeah, but, uh,
0: well, yeah. we did think Lana, but then my surname's Garner, so it would be Lana Garner. And mm. I thought, no, Lois is perfect. Um and, and it, it was a pity because with Margot Kidder passing, um, she was, appear- she was uh, scheduled to appear at a convention uh, here in the UK. And I wanted to take her along and in- introduce her. So she never had the chance to actually meet the woman that she was named after, which was a bit heart- heartbreaking. I've met Margot a couple of times and she was an astonishing woman um, yeah. and such a loss. Um, Like we've lost so, so many, including Christopher Reeve, that was very inspirational in his autobiographies, uh, which I'm sure your autobiography, your memoir, would be as inspirational uh, because I've read uh, a bit of it already. Um, You've shown such determination, Colin, in your early years to get to where you wanted to get to in the film industry. At At what point did you stop and think, you know what, I've done it. I've made it.
3: I don't think I ever did, to be honest. Right. I, mean, I, I, I it, was, you know, what it's like when you're trying to do it. You don't really think about the the. I mean, you can look like you can see the end, but you don't really know what the end's going to be. And I just had to keep working towards what I wanted to do. And I and I think I mentioned in the book with my brother-in-law trying to persuade my parents not to let me go to art school. Yeah. Um, because he said I would be wasting my time and, you know, I'd never never make anything of it, I should get a real job. Yeah, And that's that's the brother-in-law that's four, kid, four or five kids now work in the movie business. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I think I proved him wrong. <laughs> but I think I always, I guess with my upbringing, I always felt like I had to work to get the next job. Right, yep. So it's kind of bizarre, but... I mean, until I got an agent, and then when I got an agent who was London management in England, and then she kind of took that pressure off of me to keep looking, because by that time, I think that was after I would got the Academy Award, and so people would come to her and ask if I would be available for, to do a movie, rather than me have to go finding a movie. And actually, she also was the one that got me um, launched, as it were, with some of her other clients into directing tv commercials which was great because she had clients over here in Canada and I thought when I moved over to Canada although I did a couple of movies I think I did that Incubus and something else when I first moved over but then she put me in touch with a good friend or good client of hers a guy called Ozzy Rowey who had a company in Toronto and he was looking for directors and we had a good conversation and he said well you know i you're interested in doing effects commercials. I'm not really interested in that. And so he took me on as a director and then that's the same kind of thing happened to a, another client kind of Earth in Los Angeles. So I was able to get work through through her. I, I then felt more like I kind of didn't have to worry too much.
0: Talking about Oscars, as you mentioned earlier on, it's, it's, yeah. it's quite um, convenient that today is obviously Oscar night. It's the it 92nd... Oscars tonight and yep. the 51st uh, in, in 1979, the year that I was born um, wow. yeah, you won the Oscar um, but there was no other nominees for your category um, no. was that because they just knew how good Superman was
3: That's the, that was, I don't know if it's still the same but at that point in time we all went I forget, I think even the second Star Wars was up that year I forget how many, what the movies were that were up for nomination that year. But we went to the Bake Off, which is in January in Los Angeles, all of us. Yeah. And we had got a reel that had been prepared, a show reel that had been prepared by uh, the the editor. And, um, you know, you show so the show reel, they ask you questions. And after that, they ask everybody to stand, go outside, the, outside of, you know, into the lobby where they, commiserate with each other, and I think it was, um, oh, what was the name of the guy that came and told uh, Richard? Richard Edlin, came yeah. out and said, you know, we have three options, we have an option of no movie is good enough, we can nominate five that go before the full Academy, or we can say this year, the most outstanding movie is this movie, which he said happens this year, to you. So we knew at that point, that that was one of their options which they'd exercised to give us the Academy Award, which was amazing because we didn't know when we went up for the British Academy Award.
0: And what did it feel feel like when you went up and got your award from Steve Martin, of all people?
3: (laughs) It's one of those kind of... It's almost like an out-of-body experience. You don't really realise what's happening to you. You know, you get the award and... You know, you're standing in front. You don't, can't see anything out there, really, because the lights are all on you. And we'd done a rehearsal the day before, so we knew what we had to do. So that's also helpful when you know what you have to do. And then you, go, you, know, you do the green room and the press room and all the other rooms. And the worst thing for me was we went back to sit down in our seats, and there was people sitting in our seats. And I was really pissed at that, that somebody had stolen <laughs> our seats while we were up. right. And then they, don't worry, don't worry about it. We have to have crowd fillers. So that it if the cameras pan along the theatre, it of doesn't course. look like it's empty. So that, that made me feel a little better. And then the ball, the, the, you know, the, the president's ball afterwards was incredible.
0: Is that, <laughs> is, 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 is that how you celebrate afterwards then? Yeah. Uh, you have like the, af, the after party, yeah. Yeah,
3: we had all the yeah, huge round table and five academy awards on it with uh, other, you know, Donna and other people sitting around there. It was
0: amazing. It was incredible. Oh. Yeah. So going on to Superman, it'd be rude not to mention super, uh, Superman, especially for Aaron as well. He's a super fan. Uh, for yeah. me, I don't know about you, Aaron, but my my two scenes from Superman that really, really made it magical for me was the first time we see Christopher Reeve in the Fortress, Fortress of Solitude actually take flight And then the other scene is when he catches Margot Kidder for the first time. (laughs) If you've got me, who's who's, who's got me? How were they achieved? Because, you know, I watched it again on the 4K, uh, you know, DVD that I've got. And I was trying to look closely at, like, the possibilities of miniatures, um, you know, and other things. How was those scenes achieved? Well, the initial,
3: the scene that you mentioned, first of all, when Chris flies... Off on you know at Cameron from uh, in the Fortress of Solitude that was on an overhead wire rig that we had. We had all these rails that we could set up above in the stage roof. Yeah, and and, and he was, was hanging on wires and you know as I say and to Aaron, I spoke not spoke. I was communicating last night with Bob Harmon, who was the guy that did the wire flying for me. He was the wire man that worked with Chris so closely to get all of those perfect takeoffs and landings. That, you know, it wasn't Chris doing it on his own. He had to have perfect sync with yeah. the guy that was pulling him up and down. So that was Bob Harmon that did that kind of thing, which was amazing. And we had this, like, big, um, what would you call it, like a winch, so that we would winch Chris along the rail and ways which I'd learned from uh, a guy called Glenn Robinson that I worked for on the Battle of Britain, because then we towed aircraft around How I'd go around a corner with, with all these railings up the top. So you know we we kind of sorted all that out, but that that was really that made our hearts pound when we saw that for the first time, which was when Richard Richard had got it in to show us from uh, what a made a sort of five minute show reel when we got we're about nine months into the movie and showed that and it was like wow I mean we were that's where you felt like you were working on something special
1: because yes.
3: Christopher Christopher was Superman you mm-hmm. know when he was on, when he was on the wires. It was like he could fly. He felt that he could fly, and even when we were doing a lot of the flying scenes against the front screen, front projection screen, where we had him on this hydraulic rig where we could manoeuvre him, he would—he was a pilot, so yeah. he knew he knew how he should react as an aircraft. And you know, we had this huge rig that we could move the camera up and down and from side to side and zoom in and out to make, which just gave the impression that he was moving because. The background plate, which was what you know, what was he was flying in, that was not moving as the camera moved, that wouldn't move, he would move because the whole background plate was moving in sync with the camera, so it just looked like he was moving from side to side or up and down, so that was great. And then the, the, you know, the helicopter sequence was three different sets we had a 60 foot set, one that was about 11 12 feet off the ground, and then a miniature set as well. And we also i against. For uh, I think when Chris caught Lois, that uh, was against front screen projection.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah because I know Vic Armstrong uh, was was part, partly involved as well, which yeah. was a stunt double. Uh, yeah. Because I've seen pictures of uh, Vic and Wendy, his wife, yeah. Uh, yeah. in it, and just fantastic scenes. And again, you know, going back to uh, films around that time compared to films now. I, I don't know about you, but it's like Superman and the original Star Wars just seems so much more believable because the mm-hmm. practical effects, um, you know, even in Superman 2 when they were lift, lift, lifting up the uh, buses and throwing things and, and yeah. the flying, it just seems hell of a lot more believable than too much CGI now. I mean, what's your view on how, you know, the industry's changed from practical effects to to, to well, overused
1: cgi
3: i mean I, I keep coming back to the fact that you know having having the ability to use cgi means you can do anything yeah it doesn't mean to say you should do everything i yeah. mean the best example of cgi i think i've ever seen is lord of the rings yeah you know that, that's because they used it to exactly tell the story So many movies today, even some of the, you know, the 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 ones that DC have put out, it just it's so over the top that it gets beyond belief. I mean, what what Christopher did, other than turn the world around and that kind of thing, was almost believable. Yeah. But and also, I think we you had to be more reliant upon the characters and the story when you didn't have so many. Tools in your in your toolbox to make it in, bigger and bigger and better as it were and I, and I really dislike watching movies with these sort of enormous effect scenes because I think you know they all look if you some of them I think you could go in the middle you could go into the big scene where they where all the buildings are falling down you could be in any of four or five different movies because it's all exactly the same except the characters might be slightly different <laughs> and it, so it doesn't use the story to its full extent yeah.
0: What was the most challenging thing while filming Superman?
3: Other than my ex-wife?: um, <laughs> I think obviously the flying yeah also, also, also it was that kind of mindset where you had to realize that that Superman was, had superpowers. yeah, so anything that he did had to, had to be bigger you know had to be super. but the problem to some extent, and you mentioned the bus in Superman two. I mean if we got people that are throwing that bus, I could I could hang a full size bus on the wires, but I wouldn't be able to pull it fast enough to make because of just physics of it, I couldn't have pulled it fast enough and stopped it right. if I did. Because it you know so we actually built a foreground miniature of the bus. That bus was maybe eight, ten feet long, made out of aluminum and painted that look like the bus and it was maybe 15-20 feet in front of the villains and it had to be coordinated so that when they did this we pulled it back and when they did that we could yank it and it looked far more realistic than had we used a real bus so those kind of effects to make it look real that, that was a big challenge but just flying Chris you know we had a problem with the cape which was kept wrapping around Chris which again, 25 years later they had the same problem
1: yeah, other than when I've,
0: I've, and and of course you uh, invented the good old gadget of uh, making the
3: game. last Bowie designed that thing with the with fishing rod ends that would vibrate. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think I think Jim Bowers has got that currently, uh, which I, I I am sure that he will never let go of, and he's got There's it in a bolt somewhere.
2: There was a few of them, right? Yeah. Well, we, actually, we spoke with Jim last weekend. Yeah. That yes, he yeah, he owns that. Yes. <laughs>
0: hopefully there's a group of us that's going down to the Royal, Royal Albert Hall to uh, watch Superman with the orchestra. So we're yeah. all meeting up, uh, which we're, which should be good. Um, going to uh, Facebook, we've got a few questions for you from uh, a few <coughs> few fans. Uh, this one's from Jason. Um, he asked, uh, were you part of the team that tried to use a remote control plane for flying Superman? So when yeah. you tested out the ways of... Of how to show him flying on screen, um, right. what was the thing with the remote control plane?
3: Well we, we, we had one of our guys, uh, Roy, was a flew radio controlled models yeah, and one of the things we thought we would try is to build a, like a delta wing aircraft and see if it would work and if it would look like Chris flying on unwise. They never worked properly. We actually had a I think there's a picture of me in the book of holding a little little Superman that we used wires for a couple of shots because that that wasn't, that didn't have to fly, that was flown on wires. But it was, it wasn't, when when I was in Italy for four months at the beginning of Superman where we tried having um, mannequins of of Chris, well, I wasn't Chris at the time, it was just a mannequin, and we would shove a, 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 um, shove it on uh, the rear end. We had a pipe that would go over a, an air cannon and we would block, <laughs> block it off. But, I mean, it, it, that didn't work either. So, you we know, were just trying <laughs> different things. I see almost by trying as many things as we could, we would get down to what we needed to use. And one of the, I mean, one of the biggest assets we had, other than the fact that we had all the wire rigs that we developed, brand new stuff that we developed, was having the front screen projection where we could actually put Chris on a plate and and actually see it happening and he could see it happening as well. I think that was one of the biggest innovations we had.
0: And then we've got another uh, question from Daniel Sanchez. If you had to do it again today with Reeve, what would you do differently?
3: With Chris? Yeah. Well, I guess it would make it a bit easier for him if we didn't have to put him on the rigs that we had to put him on. But he was—he was just an amazing actor, where he could ch- turn himself from Clark Kent to Superman. And I—I I, I think in the book I mentioned the fact that when we did the first shot with him at Niagara Falls, he had—that was six months after we finished the previous movie. Yeah. And he flew in the night before. literally flew in on an aeroplane. <laughs> <laughs> And he came down to Niagara Falls and he actually took myself and my crew out for dinner, at Mamma Mia's. Mm-hmm. And the following day we 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 had we're flying him, he was taking off to go over the falls to pick up the boy, to rescue the boy. We set it all up, we had the, the crane there and you know the wires, and we flew the stunt guy to make sure the rig was all working and everything else. And then Chris, we ready to do the shoot, and Chris came out and had a, a bathrobe on with his outfit underneath. There's got to be 300 people watching mm-hmm. from the side. And um, so we, we hooked him up to the wires, while well, he still had the, the, his bathrobe on. And I said to him, you know, you want to give it a try? And he said, no, let's just go for it. So he took off the thing, rolled the camera, he took off, just like you always said, you know, perfect timing for the bounce up in the air, and all the hairs on the back of my neck went up. Because it was just like, wow. the, even where we were standing, as he took off, the wires disappeared. I mean, just like in your mind, he, he was. He thought he was He thought He was Superman. It Was amazing, amazing guy.
2: I just want to say, too, uh, I discovered the Niagara Falls Public Library actually had uh, – uh, they had a photograph in their archives of the exact moment Christopher Reeve was taking the robe off. Oh, really? really? And, and that it is in the book. So you'll see. He's oh, amazing. Sort of, it's literally him taking the robe off. And, and I, I was going through the archives, and I just couldn't believe it. I said, I, you know, that that was the exact moment that Colin described. So it, it, there, it was captured. Uh, uh, I'm sort of assuming it was either by a bystander or maybe someone from the local press. Yes, uh, yeah. But yeah it's in the
0: book it's amazing yeah i've 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 got to say as well that if anyone wants to see any other pictures uh cape wonder to, has got an amazing collection and i know that he helped you out with the book with providing a few photos as well um, Yeah. but with the uh superman film um richard donner um an amazing director he's directed countless things what what, yeah. what was he like to work with because um i gather you had quite a good relationship with him
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, a, it was um, an interesting relationship at the, at the beginning because originally Guy Hamilton, who had directed two of the Bond, the first two Bond movies,
1: yeah. was, going
3: to, was going to direct it. But then when they decided to move the production back to England, Guy, I think, was a tax exile or something, so he couldn't work in England. And so Richard Donner had just been very successful with the Almond. Yeah. And uh, the Salkins decided he should be the one to do the movie. And he was coming over to do the movie. And I remember Bob Simmons, the um, associate producer or at that time, the production manager, came to see me. And he said, well, you know, that uh, Richard had worked with this other effects guy before on the other movie. He did The Omen, a guy called John Richardson. And he said, well, he's, he would like John to do the effects on Superman because he's worked with him before. And, you know, he'd still like you to work on the movie, but I said, well, you know, I said, I I know John very well. And I said, he's not somebody that I necessarily would be able to work with. So I said, I I really understand and can not, you know, Richard wants who he wants. And that's fine by me. I said, I'll just leave the production. For some reasons, I still don't know that John didn't take the movie. So I continued on it. And then later on, of course, John came back because he did the locations for me in uh, in New York and out west because so I couldn't get over there working on the rigs. So, so that made Richard happy that he had somebody that he knew that could go out with him to, to the States. But I was the one who ended up doing the movie. So it was... It was an interesting time because I'd already been on the on the. I think I'd been on the film for five or six or more months yeah. at a time when Richard got involved. But once he got involved, he was he was incredible. He had this big sign of originality yeah. in his. This um, he had, you know, he had this huge, huge affiliation with the writers, especially Sam. Was it Sam?
2: On um, the first one. Um, uh,
3: what's his name? Um, Mankiewicz. Mankiewicz. Um, is it? No, that wasn't Sam, was it? Oh my goodness. Anyway. <laughs> Tom, Tom Mankiewicz. Mankiewicz. I mean, they, they were good buddies. Tom was great. And they would be able to kind of work off of each other and come up with ideas. And you could go Richard's anytime. You could just knock on the door and go in his office and he would sit and talk to you and, and encourage you. And I know when, uh, the child, Charles, there was a gentleman called Charles Greenlaw that was working for Warner Brothers and when they were getting into some problems yeah. Charles came over and for 10 days and say for 10 months on <laughs> movie. and they would work together as well and you know it wouldn't be surprising if, if, if an effect went particularly well in a couple of days time you would, there would be a case of wine with a thank you note from Richard Wow so, so you've
0: got quite quite a few cases of wine then I presume
1: Probably,
3: it yeah. <laughs> was amazing. He was e- extremely, I mean, amazingly generous with his time, but also so encouraging and full of excitement for the movie. And, of course, he'd grown up with this character. So he knew more about Superman than, than certainly than Guy Hamilton would have, who was an English, you know, gentleman. Yeah. So it was, it was great to have to work with somebody like him. And the crew that he had around him, uh, just, you know... It, from the editor, everyone was so engaged in it. It was an amazing film to work
0: on. Um, yeah, I remember seeing. Um, well, reading a comment that Richard Donner said that he would often get annoyed by uh, the British way of working because uh, you all clocked off at a certain time, yes. and uh, you wouldn't work. Was it past four or five o'clock? Um, so that's that was partly why. The film dragged a bit in the way of production. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I've read. I mean, from your point of view.
3: Well, we were you know, the whole thing was unionized.
1: Yep.
3: And I think of those in those days we would only be allowed to work eight hour days. And we had to have a fifteen minute tea break in the morning when the the, the trolley would come around with bacon sandwiches and tea. Nice. And then fifteen minute in the afternoon, where they would have scones and and an hour for lunch and then if they wanted to work overtime they would have to talk to the union and get their permission to, to work overtime which I think was very civilised of the union yeah. I, I, I mean nowadays it's not unusual to work 14 hours a day yeah. and that's because I don't know about in England now but over here they only allow you to you have to have 10 hours off the clock Yeah, otherwise they work you 24 hours a day
0: I mean, out of all the cast that was in there, obviously Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder, uh, which Mm -hmm. cast member really stood out that really impressed you? Like work ethic, um, you know, getting on with the job? uh, They were all like that. I
3: mean, uh, I I had a good relationship with the the guy that played Jimmy Olsen. Oh, Mark, And I I worked with him after that on commercials that I directed. Um, Yeah, I mean, everyone was professional. I mean, they got... If you've got somebody that's so talented and such a big person like Richard Donner, he yeah. did, did what you told him with it. The only person I think he was a little bit wary of at first was um, uh, Jarrell. <laughs> Brando? Brando. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, when, when Marlon Brando turned up, he had the most awful cold. I mean, he had a really bad, bad cold. And so, even the ten days or more that he worked with us, he had a rotten cold. But even he was, you know, very kind to everybody. I think I mentioned in the book he he bought all of his crew, the guy, not his crew, but the people that did his hair and makeup, I mean, a gold Dunhill lighter at the end of the, of his stay. Wow. on he was amazing. I mean, they were all they were all great. I mean, because yeah. even the, the supervillains, because we had a lot of to do with them, because we were flying them around a lot. I mean, they understood what we were trying to do our job. We were trying to make them look good, and the more we could make them look good, the more they liked it. So it was to their benefit not to piss us off, as it were.
0: <laughs> was there was there a weight allowance for the uh, wires? Because uh, Jack's quite a large guy, isn't he, who played non? <laughs> yeah. um, was that a worry at all? Because you was using, was it piano wire? Piano wire, yeah. yeah, no.
3: Yeah. We could get different thicknesses of piano wire. Right. But luckily, they didn't have to go up too high in the air. Nowadays, they use quarter-inch cable, mm-hmm. and they can just get rid of it with a computer, but
0: that wasn't how. Yeah, because uh, um, I was listening to Paul Weston, who was a uh, stunt double as well, and he yeah. was uh, laughing at the same time, commenting about uh, a cer- certain device that vibrated uh, yeah. the wires to make them disappear. And... Yeah. Um, yeah, he was laughing at the same time, so I'm sure it wasn't all a bad thing for him. Uh, he said no, no. it was quite embarrassing at times.
1: <laughs>
3: well, it could be, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we didn't we didn't have any breakages of wires. I must say. I mean, Bob Harmon was amazing at doing wire work. Yeah, so, I mean, it was always good to have him there. Let's say his his rapport with Chris was incredible. I mean, it was almost like they had the same brain when he, when he took off or landed. You had to be perfectly on for Chris to land, otherwise it would look like he'd gone down too low or come or not his feet would be off the ground. So yeah. that was it was perfect. He was a great guy.
0: It definitely was. It was amazing. Um in Superman three, um, I don't know how much involvement you had, but there was a scene that gave me nightmares. Um Aaron might guess which scene this was. It involved Vera and a supercomputer and yeah. her turning into yeah the evil computer woman yeah. <laughs> um it scared the living daylights out of me because believe it or not uh, that was the first movie i actually saw was superman 3 and oh, okay. um because obviously my age it, you know it came out i think it was at 83 it came out and um yeah it was one of the first superman mo- movies but it gave me nightmares was you involved in that scene are you to blame
3: <laughs> that was all, it was more optical than anything
2: or was that the, I think he, I think uh, uh, Brian may be referring to where, where all the the uh, cybernetic components like get drafted or face. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. didn't he do those with the wires? Probably over, did some of that backwards, wires backwards? Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah Yeah. we did actually
3: I know it was a big combination between everybody, you know as, as far as Roy Field doing the optical effects and Les Bowie probably doing some painting out or something and. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and me doing some pulling of bits and bobs. So,
2: yeah. And there's the animation showing, like, the yeah. energy going through yeah. it. And yeah. that would have been Roy Field as well.
0: Yeah. yeah. It was frightening. So going on into your career, so we've done Superman, um, yes. and obviously you've done many other films, like uh, Tommy, Rocky Horror Picture Show, K-19, The Widowmaker. I'm not yeah. sure if you're aware of this, but uh, I've got a friend that actually has just come out of the Navy. Uh, he was on the submarines. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but they actually show K-19, Widowmaker, as an educational film. Really? (laughs) Yeah, they do, to uh, let them know what not to do and what to do in in that situation.
2: Yes, right? Do not listen to Harrison Ford. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, So uh, going on to uh, Moonwalker, again, you... Colin, I've made my childhood um, with definitely Moonwalker uh, and Smooth Criminal. Um, uh, you you partly di- directed the uh, the movie of Moonwalker, um, and yeah. you directed Smooth Criminal. Uh, apparently, right. Smooth Criminal was going to be a Western style, from what right. I've read. And and until Michael Jackson um, had a few words with you, and you showed
3: him a certain movie. I did. Yeah, I showed him. Uh... Uh, what was it called? The movie
0: that I showed him the, was, uh, the,
3: third the Third Man. man. The yeah. Third Man, yeah. And um, you know, he, he i am not sure how true that thing about the Western theme was, because he wanted a gangster. He wanted it to be a gangster. He wanted it to be a gangster kind of movie.
1: Yeah. And so when
3: I showed him, showed him that movie. It was perfect for because he his inspiration
2: was the um, the uh, Fred Astaire movie. Mm, with Cherise. Sid right? yeah, yeah. Uh, what's it called Peter Wagon or wait, No, no, Pinter Wagon. That's, I, oh wait, I'm just kidding. Totally. Yeah.
3: Anyway, that movie <laughs> where, where he did the dance with Sid was was his inspiration to do the summer dance in the in the nightclub. So yeah. there's a lot of comparisons. If you looked at them together, a lot of the movements that Michael did were similar to, to Fred Astaire's. So he wanted to do a gangster type of movie. And when I showed him, which I love that, the the movie, The Third Man, like like that kind of film noir look and all the dark shadows and things like that, and he loved it. So uh, we got this really good John Horror, the cameraman, and he loved it as well. And we shot it in that way, which I think is beautiful. I mean, John did an amazing job with it.
0: And what was he like working with? Because he he seems quite shy, but super talented. I mean, the man was amazing
2: incredible
0: yeah. because you spent about two years apparently uh, yeah, pretty, with delays and everything
3: pretty much yeah yeah yeah. he's very creative very I mean he, he at that point in his life he wasn't what you would call an experienced filmmaker so his idea of making a movie was let's do it and if we don't like it we'll do it again yeah and so the song and dance in the, in the nightclub he wanted to perfect it, so we actually had we had 42 dancers that rehearsed for four weeks before he then got involved. I think he got involved on like the thir- last Thursday, Friday, to dance with them. And then when so when we shot it, he wanted everything to be so perfectly in time and in sync. And he wanted all, all the time. If you look at that video, everyone in the in the in the place is moving. No one's sitting still which is why he wanted everything to always be on the move. I mean, he's a brilliant guy, brilliant. I loved him. We had, we had good times together. We used to go out shopping to a big bookstore in Los Angeles, in Santa Monica, for art books because he loved art books. And he would go there. And a few times I had dinner with him in, the, in his house, or at that point he was living with his parents. Yeah. So there would be my wife, myself, Michael, and Bubbles having dinner.
0: <laughs> and Bubbles oh no the monkey I forgot about the monkey uh, so <laughs> uh, that must have a sh- been a bizarre dinner it must be a bizarre di- dinner to have a monkey there. Bubbles, is- my,
3: generally Michael and Bubbles would have the same yeah. outfit on too really <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> might, why not you know, it was, it didn't seem like it was bizarre I guess it was bizarre but you know it, it didn't seem like it it was Fun to be around. He was a lot of fun
0: to be around. So, um, throughout your career then, what is the proudest moment to date? What for you, uh, are you most proud of? In my career? Yeah, in your career.
3: Okay. Not in my life, just in my career.
0: Well, it could be in your life as well. It could be. uh,
3: That would be unfair because I would have to say my daughter and my (laughs) wife. Of course. Um, obviously in different in special effects it would have been working on Superman and in directing it would have been doing directing Michael Jackson that was a, an absolute pleasure to, to work with somebody as talented as he was and as much fun as he was and with you know, working with some a group of people on a movie a move, working on a movie is like being in a big family yeah and you have to get along I mean you, it, mostly you do get along. But every, you know, no one – we weren't we, – flying Chris, we were only as good as the wardrobe department was as putting the clothes on around his flying harness as he was, you know, as the guy that could fly him and everything else. It was just – everyone had to be so closely knit together to make it really work. And then flying Superman, I think we had five different methods of flying Chris or making it look like he was flying. Yeah, And they all had to be integrated. And then for that, you needed somebody – that could do a good storyboard so that everyone was on the same page and you know you have endless production meetings where everyone would input and Richard would decide what you're going to do and that's what you do so what's
0: next then for Colin Chilvers are you a man of leisure or are you no, you no. going to never stop working
3: I'm not I don't stop working I, I was talking to this lunatic here about doing <laughs> I've got an idea for a a, a musical that I would like to work on, which is a big deal. So when he gets time from one of his books, we're going to write this musical together, which is a wow. thing. I'll tell you about it. It would be interesting to do. I do what? I do videos. I, work, I know I like. I've gone into wood carving when I kind of semi-retired, and I do wood carving and I do the website for the carving association. And I, I've a couple of nephews over here that have a huge um metal fabrication company, I do their website. I've got a friend that has a has a clothing place in Niagara and the Lake, I do his website and my wife keeps me busy and we have a cabin up north which always needs a lot of work and I play golf and you know, I keep I keep more than busy and really have no interest in getting back into making movies. It's too much work now. I would like I wouldn't mind like my nephew, sometimes Neil, he will uh, consult. I've done that a few times consult on a movie. And that's fun to do, as long as the yeah. thing that you're consulting for listen to what you say.
0: Did it's- you give him any advice on working with Brian Singer? Because you worked on X Men as well. And obviously, when he went to Superman Returns, mm-hmm. which I've got to say, I absolutely loved. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, it got really bad reviews, uh, and I don't know why, because um, it was very much in the essence of Superman, the original su- su- Superman that you worked on, yeah. You know, coming from Superman 2. Yeah. I thought it was quite a nice continuation of the story. And Brandon Routh, I don't know about you, but I just think, just screams Christopher Reeve. <laughs> <What> <laughs> he, the- he looks like him, <laughs> sounds sounds like him, I think which, a- is, which isn't the- a bad thing. The-
3: most of the people that weren't impressed were people that grew up with the first movie it was so similar to the first movie yeah it had that sort of i don't know there's a certain attitude that comes to movies that are directed by Brian singer that you either love it or you don't really care for it and i think that's another problem that we had there was you know he's he's good at telling stories i'm not sure how good he was at telling a story like superman well, he didn't right. with X-Men. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he knew the characters that he wanted to bring out in X-Men, and he didn't know anything about special effects at the time, so it was, you know, he wasn't really involved that much in the effects on that movie. It was more, you know, like, okay, you tell me what to do rather than him tell us what to do. But that was the first, one of the first movies in Canada, memory serves me, yeah, that we actually... I introduced him to pre-visualization, computer pre-visualization, which saved right. a huge amount of money, especially the, the you know the sequence on the top of the... Statue of yeah, Liberty. Statue of Liberty, yeah. Because we only had a certain amount of the statue built on the set, and then really construction needed to know how far they needed to go, and some people knew that you know, we could show... All the action, and therefore, how much set do you need, and what part of the of the model, do you, or what part of the statue do you need to make? So it was a, an innovation for Brian. It's the first time he'd ever used use the computer.
0: Yeah, I mean, special effects has come a long way since the. Uh... The fifties and sixties, and and you know anyone that that's wanting to buy the book. So um, you know your 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 book's available on your website, uh, yeah. Colin Chilvers. Yeah, uh, is it dot com? Yeah. um you can buy the book from there. Also, Amazon. Uh, is it available anywhere else in the UK that you know of? Because it's available through Amazon uh, and obviously through your website.
3: Yeah, I mean Amazon. If you're living in England probably Amazon yeah, is the yeah. best way to go. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of put it on my website because I pointed, I mean, I'm not charging any less because I wouldn't be allowed to other than for like friends and family. But at least I said, if you want to buy it from me on my website, I'll sign it for you. So, you know, I'm doing a thing next two weeks time mm-hmm. at a local school um, that has a little restaurant and they're going to do a dinner and, I'm going to do a presentation and do a book signing at the, after the dinner, and then you know have a little chat about show Oscar and all that kind of thing. But yeah. the, the kind of proceeds will go to the school,
0: which is. Have you, of, have you got any plans to come over to the UK in the any? You know, I'm trying the to
3: persuade the guys from Cape Wonder to get me a free, free to get to come over for the for the um, Albert Hall.
0: Oh, okay. So oh, wait yeah. a second, was that a secret? Was oh no, no you know... I've got to put it
3: out there, when they did they did a similar thing in Los Angeles and they said, Oh, we'd like you to come and I said I'd yeah. be happy to come, but they didn't want to pay my airfare and I said, Well okay. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm happy to do it, but at the same time it's it's expensive.
0: And I presume that your Oscar would be uh, hand luggage for definite. Oh for
3: sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and where do, and where does your
0: Oscar um you know sit in your house is it proudly on a on a shelf or is it,
3: is it you know, tucked away it's in a china cabinet with, with oh. some of the others I've got actually I didn't put the English one it's not in there I put that on that's actually on my mantelpiece and I've got a couple of others as well that are around somewhere but that's obviously my that's the two pride and joy would be that. And although I, 20, 2016 I went over to Italy as a guest of a company, of a place called the Nemo Academy of Art, uh, which was a lot of fun, 10 days in Florence. And they gave me this beautiful, like, ceramic award, which was beautiful. And I had a, we had a ball, Colleen and I had a ball over there. And then we went to Germany, and then we went to England to visit my family in England. So I'd like to get over. We talked about maybe getting over this year. We'll see how, how things go.
0: It would be fantastic if you could come over for like a either one of the conventions or too, yeah. uh, sorting out like a dinner because um, I know that quite a few people from the UK because again Superman was made in the UK. A lot of the uh, the crew uh, was the you know from the UK, which we're very proud of. Yeah, uh, and it'd be great to have you over at some point to get to meet you in person would be amazing, and yeah. maybe have a hold of the Oscar as well yeah. uh, for that I, sneaky yes. little picture.
3: I've always thought it would be nice to get together with the the nephews and niece as well. Because Neil's got two Academy Awards and Chris has one.
0: (laughs) I know, from Gladiator and Gravity, if I remember rightly.
3: For Inception. Right. And uh, Paul nearly got one a couple of years ago for Guardians of the Galaxy. He did that. And I noticed. What, what was I that? watching? Reds two yesterday. Oh, Red two, yeah. yeah. And that uh, Neil did that. Mm-hmm. Was on that. So they, you know, they've done a few Star Wars between them. Chris has done like eight, nine, ten um, Bond movies. Neil yeah. Neil did Neil did just finished
2: um, the Schwarzenegger movie. Oh, uh, yeah. Terminator, Terminator. Terminator. Actually, yeah, I chatted with him when you, uh, from the set in uh, Hungary. Yeah, yeah, he was on that yeah so they, they've done well for
0: themselves, all of the boys. I was just, I was just about to say because my wife's uh, great auntie was in Star Wars oh, really? uh, she she was in the cantina scene. Oh. her name was her name was Gilda Cohen. She oh. was three foot and 10 inches high, oh, believe wow. it or not, and uh, she played the character of the Bat's head yeah, yeah. Um, was- She shared it with uh, an actor called Rusty Coffee. Uh, there was an umpa as well. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, I've been to El- Elstree Studios quite a few times. Yeah. Um, I've been fortunate enough. That's where I actually got my crystal from. Um, I bought it from a company there years ago. You but Colin, love. it's yeah. been a great honour to in- interview you. Uh-huh. Um, hopefully I've done all right. I was a bit <laughs> nervous, to be honest. And Aaron, thank you very much for the, uh, the great emails. And yeah. I look forward to uh, reading the book Back to front, upside down and backwards when I receive it in the uh, the good old snail mail because uh, obviously it's wind, windy outside so it's probably still on its way. Uh, but thank you so much for the interview and I urge everyone out there to buy the book uh, to find out more about the wonderful, the talented, the legend that is Colin Chilvers. Guys, thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. And if you're watching the Oscars, I think, uh, is it 1917 that's probably going to walk away with the majority of them?
3: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you've got any questions after you read the book, I'll be happy to come on again.
0: Oh, that's fantastic, Colin. Thank you so much. Aaron, look after yourself as well. Thank, thank you. you. Have a good night. Good night. You too. Bye Bye-bye. bye. Bye.